This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, April 15, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal and state governments have spent more than $19 trillion fighting poverty, and it's not clear what that money has accomplished. Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. On March 26th, he spoke at the Cato event, Can We End Poverty?, and provided some insight on government welfare programs and whether private charitable efforts could be a better alternative. Federal government alone spent $689 billion last year financing these programs, and state and local governments contributed another $292 billion. So we're up to a trillion dollars just under that, which is real money. So it's hard to see that we're not spending money fighting poverty. Now, we really should keep this in perspective because this is not just about money being spent. And if you really want to get into where, you know, we spend money in Washington, uh, you know, we're, the money we spend on poverty, as real as it is, pales in comparison to the amount of welfare we spend on senior citizens in terms of Social Security and Medicare over and above what they pay in to the programs. Uh, there's a huge amount of poverty for the relatively affluent uh, elderly. Uh, corporate welfare is a substantial amount, uh, over $100 billion, according to Cato's estimates, all of which uh, should be done away with. And then, of course, there's m- welfare tucked into the, the military and defense and homeland security budgets. Uh, we don't know exactly how much it is. It's hard to tease it out exactly how much it is, but we certainly know there's, there's some there. So if we're going to get upset just about spending only, then welfare is probably not the place we should be the most upset. There's certainly enough uh, waste and fraud and mismanagement and simply programs that shouldn't exist to go around uh, without getting into that. Still, if you're spending a trillion dollars, you should expect to get something out of it, something in return for it. I mean, we are, after all, if you simply broke that down and divided the amount we're spending by the number of people who live in poverty, we're spending over $21,000 for every poor man, woman, and child in America. Now, when you figure that the poverty rate is just a little under $12,000 for a single person, you could theoretically write a check for $12,000 to every poor person in America, wipe out poverty, and save yourself some $10,000 or so. Uh, But obviously, for all that money we're spending, poverty still exists. So we're not necessarily getting a real big bang for our buck. Uh, in fact, if you want to look at total welfare spending going back uh, into the, uh, we, we started in around 73, which is after most of these programs have had a chance to kick in. You could take it back a little bit further. Uh, but we, you look at the growth in these programs, and what you see is fairly substantial growth. Uh, in fact, using constant 2014 dollars, we've spent since 1965 roughly $22 trillion fighting poverty in, in constant dollars. So the question is, what are we exactly getting for that? Uh, if you want to look at poverty rates, this is using the standard, uh, the Census Bureau poverty rate, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, th- but what you see is that prior to 1965, poverty rates were coming down substantially. That when we didn't have a war on poverty, poverty was still going down. We were reducing poverty uh, without uh, 126 different programs. And that continues down until around the mid early 1970s, and then it sort of flattens out. And what we see is that it stays pretty constant from that period on to now. So you can look at this and you can track that against spending. Uh, The uh, blue line is the poverty rate and the red and green lines uh, represent total spending and federal spending only. And what you see is that there's an enormous increase in spending on a yearly basis. We're spending more and more money every year. 
but the poverty rate seems pretty constant despite what we're spending. And you would look at this and you would say, well, it suggests we're not getting a whole lot for our money. Now, one big caveat to this. What I was using there, as I said, was the Census Bureau's official poverty measure. And almost everybody in Washington, regardless of your political persuasion, agrees that that is a pretty lousy measure of poverty. I think everybody in this panel is going to agree with that. Uh, there's been some pretty good work done on this. Uh, Dr. Weimer and others have done some really good work on coming up with alternative poverty measures. Uh, I think one of the better ones is done by Meyer and Sullivan in a paper for the National Bureau of Economic Research. Uh, and this one shows that if you actually look at, if you sort of take poverty measures that take into account taxes and transfers and things like that, what you actually find was there was a significant decline in poverty during the first 10 years or so of the war on poverty. And then it sort of begins, you know, you get a sort of a level out, then you get another drop around the time welfare reform kicked in, and then you begin to get another leveling out of this. But it doesn't appear after from about the mid-1980s, at least on, that you're seeing, when you're seeing this massive increase in spending, that you're getting a lot of incremental increase for this. I would also suggest if you go back to that early decrease around the first 10 years of the war on poverty, it's very hard to trace this directly to the war on poverty programs. Uh, what you find is there's a number of other factors going on around the same time which have a significant impact. For example, you had the 1965 Civil Rights Act. And what you find is that as a result of the Civil Rights Act, you find African Americans moving into more into the mainstream of economic life during the 1960s, particularly in the South. And you find the gap, for example, in the South between black and white wages shrinks significantly during that period of time, which enables a lot of African Americans to move out of poverty uh, during that period. You also had the beginnings of the women's movement during that period. So women were moving into jobs that were not previously attainable and moving into higher wages, both of which also helped a lot of women move out of, out of the, uh, the poverty levels. You had a period of sustained economic growth, which meant higher wages generally, which tended to lift people out of poverty. And you also had a significant amount of philanthropic giving during that period as well, all of which had an impact on poverty rates. Uh, regardless uh, of how you want to look at it, though, what you find is that in the last 20 years or so, you're not getting a very big incremental increase in terms of how you're getting people out of poverty. And that's because the programs we have by and large are not designed to deal with the big problems that we have in terms of how you get out of poverty. We know by and large that the way to get out of poverty, number one, finish school. If you drop out of high school, you're gonna be poor. If you're a college graduate, you're probably not. About half of all high school dropouts live below the poverty level. Relatively few people who are college graduates do. So education reform becomes a huge issue. Number two, as we've heard repeatedly already today, if you're not married, don't get pregnant. Not a moral judgment, it's simply an economic one. You're five times more likely to live in poverty if you give birth out of wedlock than if you wait until you're married. Number three, get a job, any job, and stick with it, as we've heard before. Less than 3%, think about that, less than 3% of people who work full-time live below the poverty level. Uh, even part-time work can cut your rate of uh, likelihood of being in poverty almost in half. So getting people into jobs, work, in effect, works. And number four, we need to find ways to contribute to savings in these programs. In essence, what we have done over the last 50 years with the war on poverty is we've made poverty somewhat less uncomfortable. It's no longer quite 
as much destitution as there was at one time. The sort of poverty that existed when Michael Harrington wrote about the other America, the, the, the age in which about a third uh, of people who lived in poverty didn't have electricity or running water. That, that sort of thing is largely gone, the huge malnutrition that existed at one time. We, we've done a pretty good job of dealing with that sort of material poverty. But what we haven't enabled recently, in particular, is enabled people to get out of poverty, to rise to that next step, that next rung on the ladder. We haven't increased economic mobility. We haven't enabled the children of people who are growing poor to be less likely to be poor when they grow up. What we haven't done is created the foundations on which people can become all that they can be, to rise to that level you heard earlier of being fully actualized people, able to take advantage of all their abilities and all their talents and rise to what they want to do. Instead, what we've done is spend more and more money and gotten less and less in exchange for that money. So what I would like to suggest is that as we look back over the last 50 years, we could say that maybe, maybe not, we had some early success, but we're no longer having that success, and maybe we should try something different, something that doesn't involve 126 federal programs and a trillion dollars of taxpayers' money. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Michael Tanner is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can watch the full Can We End Poverty event at our website, cato.org.